you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Matthew 20. That's where we're going to be hanging out tonight. Matthew 20. We're going to be talking about trust, the idea of trust. And this is something that's hard for me to talk about because I struggle with trust a lot. I feel like that's probably a common thing for most of us because all of us has probably had our trust broken at one point or another. But me especially, I struggle with trust because I just don't trust anybody. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I think that everybody is out to get me. I'm always looking over my shoulder. Like I think that everyone is sketchy. If I'm staring at you and squinting at you, that means I don't trust you. I have trust issues. But some of that comes from growing up. I grew up in a family that we loved pulling pranks on each other. That was one of our favorite things to do. Um, and personally, my favorite prank to pull on my sister is just scaring her. Um, it was great. I was hide in the dark and jump out, and sometimes she would, she would punch me in the face, but that's okay. It was worth it. Um, but one of my other favorite things was to hang out with my older sister because in my eyes, she was the coolest, like, funnest person I knew, and she was always hanging out with her older friends and I could never hang out with them. Like, they never let me. I guess I wasn't cool enough. But one time she was, her friend was over, and I was like, hey, can I hang out with you guys? And I was in her room. I didn't really ask, actually. I just kind of went in her room, was hanging out with them. And they decided that they were going to get rid of me. And so they decided we're going to run out of the room and say that we're going downstairs. But in reality, we're just going to run back in and slam the door in her face. But I was kind of smart. I kind of catch on. Like, they had done this a few times. Like, oh, we're going to go downstairs. Like, I promise. Follow us. Like, we're going downstairs. Look at us. We're walking down the steps. Um, so I kind of had caught on to this idea and knew not to trust my sister when she told me this. So she walks out, her and her friend. And they're like, we're going downstairs. I'm like, okay, I don't trust you. And they run back in. And so what do I do? I grab onto my sister's bed. Okay, she's got a really nice antique bed with a footboard, like, it's like 100-something years old, it's expensive. She got yelled at all the time for making it up, but I grab onto it, and at that point, my sister, she grabs onto me and starts to pull me, and then her friend grabs onto her and starts to pull her. So at this point, I'm grabbing onto her bed, and my legs are up in the air like this, okay? Full extension, all the way laid out flat, and then all of a sudden, we hear this big boom! And we broke her bed. We pulled the entire footboard off of my sister's antique bed, and we both got grounded for a week. But at that moment, I knew, I learned, don't ever trust my sister. If she tells me a promise, and it's about hanging out with her and her friends, like, I can't trust her. But a lot of times we struggle with trust because we don't have a lot of trustworthy people in our lives. A lot of times people let us down. I'll tell a promise, I'll tell somebody a secret, and they tell somebody else. Or I'll tell somebody something in confidence, and then I found out they're gossiping about me behind my back. And it's hard for us to trust other people because we don't have a lot of examples of trustworthy people in our lives. And because of that, I think it's hard for us to trust God at times because we compare God to people, and we know that people aren't perfect. But another way I think it's hard for us to trust God is because a lot of the times in my life, I ask the question, Why? So we know that bad things happen to good people because we live in a fallen and a messed up world, right? And we can't expect things to go good if everyone is a sinful person. But what I struggle with is why do bad things happen to me and my family if we, and not somebody else? Why is my friend going through the hardest thing in her life and not somebody else? 
So tonight we're going to be looking at that question of why we can trust God when things get tough, when it gets hard, when we can't understand. So Matthew 20, verse 1 says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So that right there, denarius, denarius, I can't really say it, but that means ten, it's basically a little coin that represented a day's wages. So it's, it kind of looks like a dime, and that would be, if you worked a full day, that would be your payment. So minimum wage right now, I think I looked up, is like seven twenty-five. So if you're working a job it's at minimum wage, you're bringing it home right now. And so let's say you work from like nine to five, full day's work, before taxes, that's like 60 bucks. You're bringing home like a good amount of cash for the day, right? Pocking that, that, that cash. Let's keep going. Verse three, it says, about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace. So he's already gone out and hired some people for the day. Now he's gone back at 9 a.m. So I don't know about you, but I start work at nine. Some of you start earlier and power to you, but my day starts at nine o'clock. He told them, you also go. He saw people doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at about noon and at about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. At about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long and doing nothing? Verse 7 says, because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So like I said, a, num- a normal work day is 9 to 5. He just hired these people at 5 o'clock. Like if someone was coming to the job, I would have been going home. It is 5 o'clock, and he said, hey, let's go to my vineyard, and you can work for me. Verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, so the people who were hired at like 5 o'clock, and then work your way up to the people who were hired in the morning. Verse 9. The workers who were hired at about 5 in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Catch that word there. They expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. This is what they said. They said, These who were hired last only worked one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work in the heat all day. So we've been working outside all day long in the hot heat, and they only work for an hour, and you're going to pay them the same? Like, what? And a lot of times that's us. I don't know if you caught that word. They expected They assumed, they supposed that because they worked all day long, they deserved more. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like, I think I deserve more too. Like, I think I deserve a raise. Anybody want to give me a raise? I'm just being honest. Anybody? But we think we deserve things. Like, we think we deserve, like, the best shoes. And, like, we think we deserve the starting 
position on the team. And it's okay to want those things. But here's what we have to also understand. When we don't get those things, it's okay. It's okay. Because here's the reality. We don't, we don't deserve anything. Some of you know this, but the past couple years since I've been on staff, my, my family life has literally been crazy. Um, and some of you know my family. I have a fantastic family. I'm super thankful for them. My dad is a pastor at a church in Virginia, and he is literally, like, the best man that I know. Like, he is so selfless. Like, he is the best dad. He loves me so much. Like, I've never had a doubt if my dad, like, believed in me. Or, like, he was at every game. He was always there for me. And he's a fantastic man. Uh, but over this past year, a couple months ago, pretty recently, right after spring break, um, I went to my sister's house in New Orleans for my nephew's birthday, and we were celebrating his very first birthday, which was huge because he had had open heart surgery right after he was born. So we were celebrating the fact that the Lord had healed him, and he's had a year of life and not have to have any more surgeries. And I show up, and my mom had told me kind of what shape my dad was in, but I really wasn't prepared for it. Um, but a couple weeks before I went and saw him, he had just been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And if you don't know what that is, basically your body attacks itself. And they don't know why. They like, have guesses for it, and there's no cure for it. But basically your, his body was killing itself. So when I showed up, my dad was like 30 pounds skinnier. He was like a fit dude. He worked out every day. He ate right. Like, he didn't have 30 pounds to lose. Um, he was in the worst pain I've ever seen him in. He would just sit in his chair and, like, writhe in pain. And that's hard to see people that you love go through pain. And he couldn't even walk, like, more than five minutes. And he'd have to sit down. At night, he had to, like, use a walker to get around. And that was hard for me because the man that I've, like, looked to my entire life as, like, the rock and like he was always been there like providing and leading our family now is going through I don't know what and so I took a step back and I was like okay God why is this good man going through this like why him like he leads a church like he is there he leads people to you God like he's a great person he loves other people well he's selfless he does all these awesome things for you why why him? Why not somebody else? And here's what I had to come to grips with is that, is that God doesn't ask us to understand why things happen. Jesus doesn't ask us to understand why things do or don't happen, but here's what he tells us to do. He tells us to trust him. He tells us to trust him no matter what. Because here's the reality, is that we don't deserve an answer. I want to know why. But in reality, I don't deserve an answer because I'm not in control. But Jesus is. And so I started to wrestle with this idea of, okay, how do I trust God what does that look like? I don't understand. Okay, Jesus, I love you. I want to trust you with this, but I, I, this is so, that's so hard to live out practically. You can be like, okay, yeah, trust Jesus. But like, focused on the why, and we miss how Jesus is bringing us through it, okay? 
How has Jesus made a way for us? Here's how. Verse 13, it says, but he answered one of them. Mind you, these guys have just been complaining about what they've been paid, okay? So they're like, this guy got paid more than me. Why is this? Why did he get paid more and I got paid less? Verse 13 says, but he answered one of them. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Underline that word, generous. How do we deal with things when they get tough? Here's how. Because I know that God is a generous God. He is a gracious God. He's a good God who has made a way for you and for me. The reason that I know I can trust God is this. Because he has given me a promise. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a promise too. See, what God did is he understood that we were sinful people and that we were separated from him. So what he did was he sent his only son to die on the cross for you and for me so that we could have a relationship with him. So that when we die on this earth, no matter what we have gone through in our entire lives, no matter how hard our days have been or how easy they have been, when it comes to the end of the day, his promise is that he is coming back and that you're going to spend eternity with him. When I was growing up, my dad used to give us this example. He would put his seminary ring, which is like a huge ring. If, you, if, you, if you're an Aggie, you have one of those rings. He would put it in his hand, and he would say, okay, Meredith, I want you to try and get this ring out of my hand. And being the weak child that I was, like I never obviously got that out of his hand because he was so strong and I was so weak. But after that, he would tell me, just like you can't get this ring out of my hand, this is how Jesus holds you. If, Meredith, if you have a relationship with Jesus, nothing can get to you. Nothing can ever take you out of the grasp of Christ's hand. No matter how hard your life may get, if you have a relationship with Jesus, he has given you a promise. He has given you a hope. He's given you a future. He's told you that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be there with you. But here's where we have to put that into practice. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says that we live by faith, not by sight. Meaning that our perspective, the things that we see, don't dictate Christ's promises. Let me say that again. Our perspective doesn't change Christ's promise. What you and I go through, the things that we walk through, like what I wake up and see in the morning, whether it's a hard day or not, like doesn't change the fact that Jesus is sitting on his throne. Like it doesn't change the fact that he's coming back again. It doesn't change the fact that if I have put, placed my trust and my faith in him, that I have a hope. When I had to start living this out, when I had to start walking this out, a lot of people a lot of people know what's going on, but they don't really know how to like be encouraging to you. Um, and so that was something hard for me to do is like live this out and say, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna show that to other people too. And Michael says this all the time is, 
you know, when you're, when you're going through it, like when it hurts, your story is the loudest. Like when you're going through it, your light shines for Jesus more than ever sometimes. And so when I was going through this, I either had two choices. My choice was either to stay here and to push through and to keep going and to do my job. But I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of days, like I wanted to throw in the towel because I didn't expect this to happen. Like the guys on the story, I was mad. Like I complained. I was like, God, why is this happening? Like I, I didn't tell you this, but actually both of my parents have autoimmune diseases. So something that I've had to start to think about is what if my parents like can't work? I'm 24, 24 years old. Like what if I have to start supporting and taking care of my parents? But the reason that I was able to keep going and to keep pressing on is because I know that if Jesus doesn't heal my parents here on earth, I know that one day they will be healed in heaven. Because not only does the promise remain in my life, but the promise remains in my parents' life. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if your parents are going through a divorce or you hate your life right now because you have no friends or if you're going through a hard breakup. But what I want you to know tonight is that the promise remains. His promise remains for you. No matter how bad you're struggling, no matter how bad you want to throw in the towel and say, Jesus, why me? Why is this happening to me? You may never know the answer to that question, why, but what you do know is that you have a hope if you have a relationship with Jesus. And that hope is his promise that one day all of this junk that we go through on this earth is going to be over because he's coming back. But the reality is we don't know what tomorrow holds. And the reality is some of you in the room, Christ's promise doesn't remain for you because you don't have a relationship with him. Because you never made him Lord of your life. You've never said, hey, Jesus, I'm all in for you. I want to live for you. And we never know what tomorrow holds. I could wake up tomorrow and have a brain aneurysm and die. But I know that Christ's promise remains for me. So my question for you tonight is, does Christ's promise remain for you? So with no one looking around,